welcome to Publishing by the Numbers. Today is episode number 20, and we're filming on Valentine's Day, even though you'll actually see all of this on the 26th. I am Janet S. Brown. I've been in publishing for virtually forever, and I write romance and I read romance. And my wonderful partner for today is Miss CJ Anaya. Hello, CJ. Hello. Happy Valentine's Day, except we're not showing this on Valentine's Day, but late Valentine's Day. And it, it works. It works. And CJ is also a romance author, mm -hmm. um, which probably should have said that, huh? I write in three romance sub niches uh, under three different pen names because, as we discussed before, uh, the steam levels and ages are all different. So, but then I just am driving myself crazy with all of that. So maybe just stick to one pen name, folks, for a while. Uh, segue, side note there. Uh, continue. Yes, we're, we're totally going to talk about pen names in a future episode and all of the insanity that you can put yourself through when you have too many of them or not enough. Right. Anyway, separate thing. So we thought that to, oh, actually, before I go that direction, I do have to note that we are alone. We, we are a duo where usually we are a trio. Yeah. And that's because yet again, Virginia saw that we were talking about romances and that we were going to talk about romance tropes. And she tapped out, y'all. When it is mystery time, she will be in here. She will talk about all the things, but mm -hmm. but she just she was like, nope, nope, not gonna do it. I'm I'm out. So we love you, Virginie, but we get it. So so she's gonna go do something non romantic while we talk romance for one more week. But she will be back with us next week, um, and we've got some exciting guests coming next month. So I'm 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 really excited. Uh, there's a lot of good things coming out of this. So that brings us back to what we are talking about today. And we talked previously about heat levels. We've talked about, you know, romance being formulaic and this, that, and the other. But one of the things that is very often associated specifically with romance, even though you see it in every genre, but it's the idea of a trope. And CJ, what is a trope? A trope is a lovely, delicious plot device um, that you carry through your story. Um, uh, what I like about tropes is that they offer so much delicious opportunity for conflict. Um, so these tropes are what kind of help with um, the plot and structure of your book, the way that you deliver conflict, the way that you tell a story. Um, it can tie in with themes sometimes. Um, but it's, uh, it's just something that you will actually, maybe you've never noticed before, but as we start identifying these things, you're going to go, oh, that's what that is. So, uh, it just helps you write your story. So, mm -hmm. and tropes are sometimes frowned upon because people go, no, the tropes mean that it is formulaic and that it is boring and all of those things. And it can be. Okay, so so when you rely on the trope too much and you don't bring in lovely twists and slightly different ways of looking at the trope, it can become very formulaic and boring. And again, that is the case whether it is a romance trope or a mystery trope or a fantasy trope, what, whatever it is, overuse can become boring, especially mm -hmm. when you're not adding your own personality and spark to it. Okay, so we acknowledge that. But the thing that you do have to understand is that readers look for the tropes. They know I love these kinds of stories and I want to read more of these kinds of stories. And we've talked about, you know, my Disney World theory before that I go back to Disney for that combination of the, the expected and the unexpected. And that's what they want from these kinds of stories. So people will search and they'll say, I want a story that has an enemies to lovers trope. And then they want your particular take on that. But the mm -hmm. tropes draw people to stories. And this is very, very true in romance, but it is true elsewhere, too. So today we were going to talk about some of our, you know, kind of the top 10 because the lists are fun. But as I was putting together our top 10 list, the list just kept getting bigger and bigger. And then and, 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 and when I was at about 30, I started paring back down. So now we've ended up at 15. This means that, gentle listener, we might not hit your very favorite one. If we miss yours, Please put it in the comments or jump on the Elantum Digital Facebook page and let us know. I will start a thread just for you because mm -hmm. there are lots that we just don't have time to talk about. And there's probably ones that there are so many that sometimes you don't realize what other ones you might love. So if we miss it, not if, when we miss it, we come miss talk it. to us about it. We, we would love to chat about more tropes. 
trope. All right. So, CJ, I'm going to turn the first one over to you. And this is the trope of enemies to lovers. Enemies to lovers. So the enemies to lovers trope, I think that's pretty uh, self-explanatory. However, um, it's so fun the way that you can use it. Um, and Jana brought up a very a perfect example of this, um, which is Pride and Prejudice. Mr. Darcy um, and our sweet Elizabeth. Uh, and please, please say the phrase, the cruel phrase that he just nails real hard that that in that moment, it's like, oh yeah, I hate his guts. That's Elizabeth's. <laughs> I'm ad-libbing yep. here, obviously. She said it much more delicately than I did. But what was the phrase exactly? Go, Jenna. It's that you are not handsome enough to tempt me. <laughs> it's just like, oh, ow, right there. Oh, painful. Mm -hmm. And yet... Yet there's enough spark there that as somebody watching the movie or reading the book, you go, oh, but but I kind of want to see them get get past this. And this yeah, is the fun of enemies to lovers yeah. is it's two people who have every reason to dislike each other. And they usually generally do dislike each other. But there's just enough of a spark there. There's there's chemistry. There's something deeper that connects them that we all want to see it go from arg to all right maybe maybe there's something more and and that's the joy of the story is how do you make that change from that that those two extremes yeah well and what's really fun about enemies to lovers is the meat cute and that's that's what's going to be very interesting about the different types of tropes that you may use it's really going to inform the types of events that occur within your story and the ways in which you can turn that on its head. So I always love a good enemies to lovers meet cute because that's where they meet each other and instantly do not like each other. <laughs> and I want to see that play out because that's fun stuff. And then and then you just watch as the, you know, the carnage continues to unfold with that underlying sexual tension and you can still really draw that out no matter the heat level. Um if you're a good writer and you know how to infuse that emotion and, and all of those feelings with um, uh, the level of description, the dialogue, I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. And I use enemies to lovers um, quite a bit in, in some of my stories because it, it really is such a fun trope to play with. So yeah. Any more thoughts on that? Or shall we move on to friends to lovers? Oh, let's talk about friends to lovers. Okay. So again, this is one that you can kind of get what it is just from listing it out. But so you have two people. This is often sometimes called the girl next door or boy next door story. This idea they've known each other for a long time. They're close friends, but they've never reached that moment that they look at each other and go, huh, maybe there's more here than just friendship. And those are fun. Um, one of my books is a friends to lovers. And so going through and it's the, yes, I'm being supportive of their life and their dating and they're this, that, and the other. And it's all great, except it's not because I kind of wish that I was the one on his arm. And, and those fun moments where they start to realize, oh, there, there's, there's a thing here. There's no one I would like to be with more. Um, and, and this was my husband and I, we, we were a friends to lovers kind of thing. We knew each other for years and years and years and years. And, and it was, those funny realizations after a long time that it started to become the well this is the person I want to be spending my time with mm -hmm. and 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 not just in a friendly way whoa and so those are fun because you get these mind-blowing scenes where and, and generally it's very internal where they go oh wait now I have a feel and what if they don't have a feel because I don't want to I don't want to ruin the friendship and so you're always juggling that how do we make it friends becoming more instead of ruining the friendship because do they both want it? So those can be really, really, really fun. I love them. I love them. Um, I, I usually see those quite a bit in those very sweet, the sweet romances, small town romances. That's mm -hmm. a fun trope to play with. I mean, you, you'll find that in really any level of, of uh, romance, but more specifically, I see it mostly with those sweet romances, the beach romances, the fun little college resort romances. That's a fun one. Uh, so yeah, you can use it quite a bit. All right. So going into number three, dun, 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 the forbidden romance. It's kind of like the, for, the forbidden dance. Nee, 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 nee. Good thing that not everybody is watching the YouTube channel. All right. <laughs> forbidden romances. 
Oh my goodness. I, again, I mean, this is a trope that you're getting insta angst, right? Um, which leads to so much conflict again, that, that, that inherent conflict is right there. Um, you've got, I mean, obviously you could go straight to Romeo and Juliet, but there's going to be something about usually like social status, the, the, you know, uptown girl, downtown boy, scenario or maybe it's a competing uh i i once saw a really or read a really cute book about competing um pizza (laughs) restaurants i'm cute the families had been competing against each other for years and then the son and the daughter of these two families meet and you know they're supposed to hate each other but they don't but it's a forbidden romance you know uh so this is really fun because you've got that uh I would say initial what it is that tears them apart or why they shouldn't. We really shouldn't. We really shouldn't. But then that tension is there. And then they have to navigate those obstacles and those conflicts that are preventing them from achieving this romance. So this is a really fun one to play with. I also see this happen quite a bit in paranormal romance, mainly because Mm -hmm. it's like a, a vampire against a vampire hunter or a werewolf who wants to be with, uh, I don't know, a Valkyrie or something like that. So you'll see a lot of those types of forbidden romances. So you can really turn that one on its head and play with it a little bit. Anything else? Fantastic. No, no, but I'm I'm with you. I, I love a good, we can't, but we want to. Um, it's just, remember guys, that the heart of story is conflict. And that doesn't always mean combat. That That's a, that's a type of conflict. But if the story is just and everything went entirely right and they fell in love and lived happily ever after and nothing tried to stop them nothing got in the way there was no conflict they everything is always good that's a boring story yeah Um, so so when especially and and in writing and in books we do exaggerate these a little bit i think beyond what a a lot of um, real romances are Mm -hmm. but that's why they're books and that's why it's fun um but we do we need conflict we need things to happen and so these tropes help us to kind of define and put not not rules but but um flavor We'll call yeah. it flavor around the conflict because it's a different flavor of romance and enemies to lover, a different flavor of conflict than it is in a forbidden romance where you may have a lot of external forces pulling them together more than their internal forces that mm-hmm. pulling them together. No, 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 no. Pulling them apart mm-hmm. when their internal is together and with enemies to lovers, they 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 start by internally wanting to be apart and then it's other things that help them keep them together. All right. So moving on. All right. This one I have I have struggles with. I'm, I'm going to be really, really honest here. This is the insta-love, which for me, I do not believe in love at first sight. Mm-hmm. I believe in interest at first sight. I think you can make an absolute connection with people, and I think there is definitely and utterly lust at first sight. I have oh. problems with the insta-love at first sight. So for me, for this trope to work, I need them to have that, yes, immediate connection, but then explore it, deepen it, and really look for the things that make it love versus just my hormones and your hormones are on the same page, baby, baby. There there are romances where that works. Um, A lot of erotica is based on this idea of, you know, that that there's two people and they both are lusty, interested, and they, they go do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. But for me, I want them to build more into that love that I feel like is going to be lasting. So when they get to that happy labor after, I don't think, well, it was insta love. So is it going to be insta go away? Mm-hmm. I, I, I need that build on this one. What do you think, CJ? Are you a are you an insta love girl? No, what? But I do like the idea of. Here's the problem. Insta love is an interesting concept when you pair it with faded mates or soulmates. And that is how I've seen it work most effectively, because you know that these people are actually going, they're destined or fated to be together, which lends it the believability that and the credibility that you actually need to pull off that trope. But at the end of the day, you still have to 
um, bring up the real issues such as, well, does this individual like me for me or do they like me because some supernatural destiny or fate made them want to be with me? And so those internal conflicts are really important because I think that realistically anyone would ask that, anyone would ask that if um, if they were put in that position. So with insta-love, I don't like it just to have it, just to have it and it, because insta-love is a, is a it's a it's a tricky one because you can really mess up pacing if you don't approach it the right way. So if they're in love, there's no reason for it and everything just rushes really quickly and happens quickly, that can mess up a lot of pacing and and it can just feel rushed the entire way through. So you got to know how to handle it correctly. Having said that, there are people who only want this because they do not like the inherent conflict of having to grow in love. They don't actually like that journey. They want it now and they want that instant gratification. So this harkens back to just knowing your audience basically mm -hmm. and being very clear that if it is Insta love and it's like boom in your face, you're marketing it to the, the right people who want Insta love with, with no huge romantic development involved along the way. So just be aware of that. Yep. And Insta love is a lot of your classic Disney princesses. Yeah. Uh, but let's be honest here. Yeah. It's the, you know, Prince Charming looks up and there he sees her across the room and, and, and that's it. Yeah. And, and and then they dance and then there's a shoe. <laughs> and, and you kind of have to wonder, you know, how how, how is that going to gonna play out? Because yeah. it, it is just a, I saw you and you saw me and we danced in the woods and, and now we're a thing. Um, and and I, I do agree that chemistry can really happen that way. But can that chemistry be a little bit more long term is, is one of my questions for the, the book or the story. And a lot of times with those kinds of stories, we, we end at the point where the real depth is beginning, but it's still a happily ever after. So you can see where these can even still be used in series and things like that, because it becomes that we're happily for now. And, and then maybe you kind of play that out. So right. on the other side of insta love, and this this is really good because of um, you talked about the pacing that can sometimes be almost frenetic in insta love. Right. We have the other trope, which is the slow burn, the, the drawing out of all the things. So CJ, what is a good slow burn? Oh, please go watch any K drama in existence. Korean romance TV shows. I have never seen slow burn done better than within a Korean drama. <laughs> Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They do it so well. And what's really beautiful about it is that they show you that it can be done without massive sex scenes or graphic details. And, and for people who love that and need that, what you find is that they, they build so much sexual tension and that just the touch on a hand or, you know, just slight contact is like, it's huge. It's major. And everybody's like, oh, and it's such a huge payoff and you just love it so much. I'm like, oh my gosh, he touched her shoulder. Finally. Mm -hmm. so it really is incredible how that slow burn is this beautiful romantic development and build up to something that just is exponentially incredible. You know, it's just so amazing. Um, and so that kiss every, every mile you earn, it's earned like, I mean, you earn it hard. Okay. And so it's more rewarding sometimes in the end, even if it just ends in a kiss, because that kiss just took so long to get there. Um, I would say Anne of Green Gables, if you guys have ever watched. Oh, good, oh good. And I remember one time after going through the whole saga of watching all of those, you know, movies and Gil finally kisses Anne. And I'm like, oh, so satisfying. <laughs> and then I thought I invested so much time to get to that kiss. Oh my word. <laughs> <laughs> but but it was worth it because of that satisfaction. That's what that's what our readers want. They want that satisfaction. They 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 want the romance afterglow of the relationship has come together at whatever steam level level is appropriate for the book. But it, it's the relationship is now a thing, and and that's why it is a beat of the genre that we absolutely must have. Because if you leave a romance feeling unsatisfied, it, it was the wrong romance for you, or it wasn't written well. Right. Exactly. Very often romance is a B plot in other kinds of books. And I see this so apparently uh, very often across the series when you have a subplot of romance, you will see this slow burn happen because yeah. it's something that pulls people all the way through a series. You know, are Hermione and Ron eventually going to get together? That kind of thing. And one of my favorites is Alana Andrews, her Kate Daniels series. 
because they meet in the first book and you have all of this spark and there's all this teasing and and then they're halfway through the series before they get together and then they tell the rest of the series with them as a couple and facing the trials that couples face and then as parents and I just love this whole arc for them. But it is this very long, slow pole because there's other big worldwide events going on that are the main plot. So you do see slow burns a lot in those other um, genres that are using the romance as a subplot. Right. So age gap. My very, very, very favorite age gap is Sense and Sensibility. Oh, yeah. For, for Marianne and her sweet colonel who who just... Oh, he's so cute and and he wants it so bad and she's off doing all of the other things and he is just such a patient patient man. And and the movie with um oh, Kate good Alan, yes, Alan Alan Rickman. Yeah. And, and Kate Blanchett. I love to watch that one. Nobody else in my house wants to watch it with me, but but oh, I I I'll watch the things. It's it's beautiful. And and they're also dealing with what what is the societal viewpoint on that that big age um, age gap, and so those are really interesting. These are sometimes also called May December romances or December May romances. Um, they're also called cougar romances. Um, that's generally when you have a woman that's much older. Um, this is an interesting one because one of the things I've read is that there is a squick factor that mm-hmm. says if the age gap is too much we start getting into the realm where it's icky, Mm -hmm. Um, particularly if one of them is a lot younger and especially under the age of about 20. Yeah. Because when you have much, much older um, people who are are romantically chasing people much longer, younger, we start getting into kind of the Lolita feel, which was always squeaky. Mm -hmm. And so now I have to see if I can remember it. It is the oldest person's age divided by two minus seven. That is oh. the youngest, there's, there's a formula for it. That, that is the youngest age that you can put them with and not have people go, ew. <laughs> I like that. Say that formula again, one more time. So it's it's the, no, no, let me make sure that I get this right. Okay. So if you've got somebody who's 30, then it's 15 plus seven. So 30 to 22 is not too much of a gap. Okay. Where 30 to 70 would be a problem. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now, now, okay, let's look at that because the, the thing that you get with this is also it changes the older your characters are. That's very true because what you're looking at is life experience and maturity level as well. So in my, I mean, if you're going to put a 20 year old with an 80 year old to me, that, that, that you might have readers going, I don't know about that. Um, but you know, the older your character is, um, the, the less likely it is that you will get that ick factor when they're dating someone older. So if you have someone who's 30, 35, and they're dating someone in their fifties or sixties, that's not quite so shocking to readers because that individual in their thirties, you would assume has had enough life experience to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, make good choices. Uh, yes. would- well, and you run into this in paranormal a lot because you deal with creatures and, and romantic interests that may live for hundreds or thousands of years. Right. And this is a big one for me where I, I do not do well for the most part when you have massive immortal creature in love with somebody under the age of consent. Right. You know, when, when they're chasing the 17 year old and they're 1700, why, what, what would drive somebody with that much life experience to want to be with a teenager? Right. Right. I I have a hard time making that jump. Now I know some places, the way that they've dealt with that is things like um, the, the very old character has spent some of that time sleeping Oh. Or, or otherwise pulled back from society. Uh-huh. And so getting with the younger character is kind of a rebirth. It's kind of bringing them back into society. Okay. Um, I've also read versions where when the older character becomes whatever supernatural type they are, it kind of freezes them in that spot. Mm-hmm. And that then would bring them in line with someone who's younger. But then my problem becomes as the younger person ages, are you now getting this kind of reverse? And they will always stay at 17 while right. the other person ages. And, and this was the heart of Tuck Everlasting mm-hmm. was this idea that if she didn't stay with him, she was going to age and die and do all those things. And he would still always be 17. 
Right. And and that was, I mean, it's, it's a beautiful book and it's not a romance. It's it's talking about other things. But that is that thing of how, how do you manage this gap once you're talking about really, really big age gaps? Um, so, so that's an interesting one because we very often do see in, in urban fantasy and in paranormal romance, women who are coming into their, their powers, coming into their all in their 20s and ending up with vampire guy who's been around for a thousand years. And, and I do wonder what drives him to say, I want to be very, very young and inexperienced without it getting squeaky. So yeah. there you go. More things to talk about, folks. None of these are we saying are good or bad. We're just giving you what they are and kind of our responses to them. Yes, exactly. So, so age gap can be an interesting one because you do have that. When is it too much? And when is emotional maturity maybe a substitute for the actual age difference? Right, right. All right, take us on to the love triangle since we're Ooh, talking about these love things. Love triangle. For all of you Twilight fans out there and for anyone rolling their eyes at the mention of the word Twilight, this one's for you. Uh, the love triangle is a fun one to play with. Um, it has been used a lot. So if you do use it, you kind of want to turn it on its head and figure out a different way to look at it. But it's when you've got one love interest and then two other love interests who are interested in that one love interest so, <laughs> or variations of that. But basically it's three people in this love triangle where one person is torn between one or the other. So for Bella, she was torn between Edward and um, Jacob. And so that was an interesting thing that played out uh, in in Twilight. And you'll see that in a lot of other uh, in a lot of other books, a lot of other TV shows. Ooh, it's a very fun one to play with the TV show. Um, and so th that again, so much conflict there uh, and so many ways in which you could play with that. Um, but I have seen it done quite a bit. Um, and I have actually seen a lot of hate towards it. And I'm not sure why, because it's kind of fun. It's fun to play with. And I think the reason why I've seen a lot of hate toward it is because many times the two love interests, the, the two people that this female is torn between or vice versa, um, is, they're both good people. And so someone inevitably is going to lose out. And that is kind of not the point of a romance. The point of a romance is for happily ever after, but inevitably within a triangle, someone doesn't have a happily ever after. So I think that sometimes that is the danger of utilizing it. So you just got to be careful how you play it out and how you do it. Again, know your audience. What are your thoughts mm -hmm. on Diana? Well, I think it's totally why um, things like reverse harem have seen such a huge uplift and right. becoming its own category because it's that why choose idea. Um, people got really tired and, and sometimes still get really tired of the, well, if you're choosing between a good option and a bad option, then duh, they, right. they might both be interested in her, but generally, so, so for me, it's never really a triangle because generally the men don't have a relationship. Once, once you do that, you're in a menage a trois, right. which is a completely different thing. It's right. really more of a love angle. And yeah. when both of them are, when one is obviously bad and one is obviously good, then your readers are already cheering for the pick the right one. Mm -hmm. When they're both good, then yeah, you have somebody who's going to be sad and lonely. And we, we hate it when they're sad and lonely. And so that's when you get into the, well, why don't we have a reverse harem where she can choose all of them? Right. Or a, a normal harem where he can choose all of them. Or we get into lots and lots of combinations of you know, acceptable adult relationships, none of which are bad, but you do see a lot of people exploring that because the love triangle is hard based on these are both acceptable choices. And readers may like one or the other better. Um, and the other thing we see with love triangles is readers go out of their way to find them, um, especially in YA, um, but it does happen in adult romance as well, where if you have a character who has a really good friend and a romantic kind of thing people start going well why can't we ship them of mm -hmm. course there's a relationship there and and i read an interview from susan collins who did the hunger games a long long time ago where as far as she was concerned there was not a triangle in that book she'd never intended it to be that way but the fans decided that it was a triangle because yeah. there was just supposed to be katniss's friend and and co-conspirator in a lot of things and that kind of stuff she cared about him but she wasn't romantically interested in anybody she was interested in not dying right <laughs> and 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 just priorities. trying to get by right. priorities here and so 
a lot of her romance, a lot of those romance angles were put upon by her need to survive. And yet it's the fans and then eventually into the movies and that kind of stuff who suddenly started going, oh, it's a thing. Is it one or is it, a, is it the other? And the, the author was like, neither, neither. But there. Go, go, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm making money. And, and that's a thing that as a writer, you always have to accept is that you may plan this one particular way, but once you release a book into the wild, your readers are going to come back and they're going to tell you things are in there that you didn't realize were in there. Mm-hmm. And you either have to decide to roll with it or just keep doing what you were doing and know that your books grow beyond you in, in certain ways. And very often these kinds of things in romance can be something where they see something that maybe you didn't. Yep. All right. Moving right along. These ones are fun. These next couple. Uh, yeah. What is a fake relationship? Can we have fakeness in a romance? Can and we do. Uh, so the fake relationship is this idea that um, you have to put on a show for X, Y, and Z reasons. So for an example, let's say that a put upon male has this mother constantly harping on him about not having a girlfriend and he better not show up to his brother's wedding without a girlfriend, yada, yada, yada. Uh, And so he decides, ah, what the heck? I'm just gonna see if this girl will pretend to be my girlfriend um, for, and you got to give her a very good reason, by the way, to say yes and agree to this. Maybe she's financially needing some help. And so he offers, you know, to pay for something or other in exchange for her just going on a date. Although you kind of run into the realm of, oh, payment, that's weird. Uh, but you know, you'll see these things happen. Uh, so you're basically having a fake relationship where either party is getting something out of it. And they're doing this for very good reasons because of their own, um, problems and issues and obstacles that they're facing personally. Uh, And then as they have this fake relationship and they're pretending in front of all these people, they inevitably grow to like each other because it's that fake relationship where they are forced to be together all the time that causes a lot of adhesion. Um, And so because they spend so much time together in this fake relationship, they grow those feels, all the feels, and then pretty soon it's not so fake after all. But it's kind of that device that gets them together. And then you see all sorts of fun things play out. And you can actually have a fake relationship slash enemies to lovers um, scenario because they may absolutely hate each other. They are forced to be in this fake relationship where they hate each other. And so that inevitable coming together is fun, too, because they go from enemies to lovers within a fake relationship. So that's a fun little pairing of tropes. I just thought I'd throw that in there because I see that quite a bit. Um, And isn't it um, Sandra Bullock, uh, the proposal where it was... For, for, for the sake of a green card. Yes. And and yes. he was in a position where he really couldn't say no because boss and, and all that kind of thing. And, and that's a good point that a lot of what you'll see is these tropes brought together. And this is how we get additional twists on them is instead of playing just a complete enemies to lovers, it's an enemies to lovers with an age gap. It's a slow burn with a, you know, that, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. Do you want to talk about marriage of convenience, which is yes. practically the same thing almost? That they, and that I put them together on purpose because they do kind of roll together. Um, with fake relationship, it can be simply dating. It can be somebody who's going to pretend to be your fiance and that kind of thing. The marriage of convenience jumps into that place of we're going to get married. We're going to do the legal thing or depending on the culture you're writing in, whatever cultural thing is marriage. And so it's that full-on connection. Everyone expects you to act like married people. And that's a little different than just the fake relationship. A marriage of convenience can connect to a fake relationship trope, but it is a little different because you have those legalities and those expectations that roll around it because you're actually getting married. And so people will think about things like, um, signing prenups, uh, contractual things they, they have to attend other events in a way that you could maybe get away with if it's a dating relationship versus, hey, we're married now. And I'm writing one of these right now. And it is such a kick. Isn't that because, so much fun? I enjoy oh, those. I've, I've, yeah, got, I've got one already published, but yes, that's a fun one to play with. Yeah, because it's the we're, we're going to be married because on paper it looks better or it gives you a better tax break or, you know, all of these other things that and, and going back to green cards. Sometimes we see this. We're going to get married because that means I can come into the country. 
but it doesn't have to last. And, and they almost always say, yes, we're getting married, but it's over in six months. It's over in a year. Almost always in a marriage of convenience, they will they will stipulate and sometimes even contractually stipulate, this is only going to last for so long, which puts kind of this ticking time bomb on our actually falling in love because you're watching it and you're going, oh no, they're coming up against the six months and at six months, the contract is over and will they really go their separate ways with well, a romance? So probably not. Um, or, or, or will they make this work? And just because we know, yeah, they're going to stick together again, this is romance, we, we kind of know how it's going to end. It's how they get there that is the interesting part. Right. So I do love a good marriage of convenience because it does start from that place of all we mean to each other is something that's on paper, but then where does it go from there? Mm-hmm. All right. So th- th- this one's fun. And, and this one, I think it's always been out there, but I've seen it become more pronounced in the last few years. And this is the single parent trope that not only are they single, but they are single with young ones usually. Yes. Yeah. Well, and this is fun because <laughs> what I, I've seen things tacked on to the single parent trope. So I have seen this keyword phrase of single grumpy dad romance. I'm and I'm laughing my head off at that because and I don't know why they've tacked a grumpy dad to it, but I guess it's a way to also include an enemies to lovers trope where it's a single grumpy dad um, and he is just trying to take care of these kids and is really struggling. And then the the female comes in, maybe plays the nanny, you know, mm-hmm. or is the nanny. And then you you get boom, you get a, a really interesting romance there with a few tropes uh, moved into all of that. Um, and so the single romance trope can also be another marriage of convenience trope rolled in there because maybe uh, the single mother is needing assistance with something. Um, maybe the man has to get married so he can have his inheritance. I've seen that play out in books before. And so he offers to provide for her financially if she will stay married for a year. So you can see all of these interesting single romances play out. But at the end of the day, they're no longer single by the end of the book. So so that. <laughs> That mm-hmm. trope has a time limit there. Uh, but but uniquely in this one, we must deal with the children. Yes. And you must deal fairly with the children yes. because if they're just having a romance and the kids are off over here, that's not the trope anymore. No. Because the trope is having a romance that is complicated by the existence of a previous romance, whether the, the person who has the kids is divorced or somebody died or whatever, for whatever reason, they're alone with children. Mm-hmm. And the children have to be a really important part of the romance. Um, we don't want to see them cast the kids aside while they have their romance and then come back and now they're a happy family. So this is the sound of music. The sound of music oh, is just yeah. a, I mean, right down the lines, exactly how this is supposed to be, where we see that building of relationships with the kids. If you took the kids out, sound of music would no longer work right. because the kids are such a critical factor and I mean, even when when Maria comes back and, she, and, and they're having the romantic moment with Captain Von Trapp, where he asks her, you know, I miss the. She says, I miss the children. And he says, well, was that the only reason you came back? Because he needs to know in that moment, do you love me because you love my kids or do you love me because you love me? Mm-hmm. And, and that's a really important part of this is, you know, how how does that connection work to the children? Because you can't hate their kids and have a good romance. And so it's a thing you have to work through. How do you do that? How do you love somebody else's kids? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a stepmom. And figuring out um, how we were going to be a family when here are these two kids that are not biologically mine and their mom is still in the picture. Mm -hmm. And, And you have to cross all those bridges and ask, how does that relationship work? How can you have the romance and how are the kids still important? So that one for me, there, there's so many other things you can attach to it. But at the end of the day, it has to be about the relationship in the whole family, not only the 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 two couples. Right. So anyway, and, and that got actually, I'm going to skip 11 and go to 12 and we'll come back to 11 simply okay. because you brought this up because 11 is the grumpy sunshine or the opposites attract, which is exactly what you were talking about, where right. it's the grumpy single daddy and then he needs sunshine. 
And, and this is another trope is that you have one person who is grr, arg, the world is hard and I'm a professional person. And, and then your other person that is very light and upbeat and, and, and it's the grumpy sunshine thing. Right. So. And you see that a lot with beauty and the beast retellings, um, or some, you know, brooding, uh, beast, if you will. And then the, the female that comes in, um, or the male that comes in and, and changes everything due to their sunny disposition and outlook on life. And, and so watching that, and it can be opposites attract in different ways. It doesn't have to be grumpy sunshine. It, I mean, there are a lot of different things that you can utilize because the, the whole opposites attract scenario is, is what is so fun to see these two very unlikely people come together and watch that unfold. And how are you going to handle those, um, those conflicts and those obstacles and possibly those misunderstandings. But it's also really gratifying to watch that romantic development and to see how, because they're opposite, they also help each other grow character wise, their character arcs really grow and progress where they're able to take on better parts of their significant other, you know, the most beautiful parts of each other helps them grow more. So that's a fun one to play with. I like that one. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And and you can tell, guys, that we like all of these um, mm-hmm. because that's kind of a thing that you also see in a lot of romance writers is that we, we have favorites, but we like to dabble. And that can be really good in your books because you can say, even across the series, maybe this is all the Miller Lodge series, but book one is going to deal with a friends to lovers and book two is going to look into an opposites attract and book three is going to be a single parent. You can bring any of these into a longer series and kind of just tease out some of the niches of these tropes. So it's good to think about how they go together, how you could build a series across different relationships, um, all that kind of thing. So, so we do like lots of these because you can pull all those bits and pieces and put them together in a great way. All right. So the one we skipped, which we'll now go back to, um, you've actually mentioned this just a little bit. So this is the forced, forced proximity. Forced proximity. What does that mean? Those are two big words. CJ, help me out. Forced proximity. It means your two love interests have to, they're thrown together against their will. Um, and, and they're, maybe they're assigned to the same project, even though they've hated each other for years, you know, um, Jordan in, uh, you know, finance and accounting now has to pair up with Susan in, uh, you know, whatever the opposite of that is going to be, uh, because she spends far too much and now needs to be monitored. Who knows? Uh, but for whatever reason, this, this happens. Sometimes this can also be part of a survival romance story, which is a trope that we haven't listed, but it's part of it where you're, you're forced into a scenario where you both have to kind of work through things, um, in, in a high, in like very high stakes, high, um, the risks are high scenario. And so Cordelia's honor by Lewis, uh, Lewis McMaster's Bujold is this kind of thing. They, They have crash landed on a planet. They have a wonderful reason to hate each other, um, that they're, they're, different countries or different planets are at war and yet they've got to survive with the very few packs that they have and I always remember them talking about how they had meals that that had been part of this crash and some of the packets were oatmeal and some of them were blue rent were blue dressing blue cheese dressing and you never could guess which one you were going to get and so they had become very egalitarian about it that each person took one and opened it and you had to eat whatever you got because trying to put them together had been disgusting and neither one of them wanted to bend to say, you know, she didn't want to be taken care of by him because his people are jerks and he didn't want to really do too much for her because they're in war and, and oatmeal and blueberry and, and excuse me, blue cheese were really bad together. So you just had to open it and eat whatever was in front of you. But it's that it's that kind of romance where it's the the they've got to survive, they've got to lean on each other, and they've got to eat their dumb packets of oatmeal because that's what you got. Yeah. But it's building a romance because you know that they're both kind of looking at it and going, I kind of hope the other person gets the oatmeal because the the dressing is kind of gross. But but we're not going to say that because I hate you. So again, <laughs> enemies to lovers, survivalists, and force force proximity where they couldn't escape each other. They had to work together to get out this is also the really classic one is we're stuck in a cabin and there's been a snowstorm oh yeah that's a good one and I've seen that done so well in so many different ways I've also seen it done so bad in so many different ways uh and that's really the fun I think (laughs) so that's a good one to play with 
looking at the possibilities. Yeah. All right. Three more guys. Our countdown continues. All right. Bad boy. Yeah. Talk to me about the bad boy, Jenna. You gotta love the bad boy. Okay. (laughs) This one, we're I'm gonna put it right out there. This one can be unhealthy. Okay. Because this one is very much a fantasy kind of setup. Um, and it can happen around motorcycle clubs. It can happen around all those kinds of things. But you get the boy who is phenomenally broken. He is mentally, emotionally, sometimes even physically very, very broken, tends to be bad to other people, um, might might be, you know, down to the serial killer kind of bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet when he meets this person, he wants to, and we're, I'm, I'm using he and she, but it could be what whatever couples you want to put together. All of that is very, very valid. But this person comes into their lives and wants to save them. And through the course of their relationship, they overcome their brokenness. They overcome their badness to become a really good partner. Um, and you have to be careful here because this skirts the line of abuse. Yeah. Um, because very often women read these books and, and then men too, read these books and go, well, if so-and-so can help her bad boy become good, even though he does terrible things to her or around her, I can do that in my real life scenario where things are bad. Mm-hmm. So, so please, please, readers and listeners, be very, very careful. This is a popular trope. It does play a little bit into the beauty and the beast thing. That, and, and we like to rescue people. And so that this feeling that they are rescuing somebody who is so broken and bringing them to a non-broken place, it is a beautiful fantasy. It occasionally works out in real life. Very often it doesn't. And right. you need to know the line, if you're looking at your real life and echoing these fantasies, Where's the line where you need to get out? And I, and I know this is a very serious moment in what has been mostly lighthearted, but it's important. And, and it's probably why I put this trope on here because we do need to understand that some of these tropes, while popular, while interesting, um, you also have to be really, really careful with them because it can encourage things that we don't ever want to see in real life. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So there's my thing on the bad boy, but it is a fun trope to to say he becomes better because he learns how to love, right. you know, and, and they use that in Beauty and the Beast in Disney's where, you know, he lets her go and, and all the servants go, what? And he says, I love her. And, and, and Mrs. Potts steps back and she says, after all this time, he's finally learned to love. And they said, well, that should break the spell. And she says, well, it's not enough. She has to love him back. Mm-hmm. And and even up to that point in the movie, that's telling us since the magic didn't break, she doesn't love him back, even though her influence has made such a huge difference on who he is and has brought him out of this brokenness. And so that's an interesting thing to look at with these is when do they learn to love? How do people influence each other? And when does it become a love that is mutual? Um, and that saves them both. And I think that's the important part is that you can't just be one person saving the other, but they need to save each other right back. Right. Exactly. Anything you want to add there? No, I think you did that one beautifully. All right. Then let's move on to billionaires and celebrities. Dun, dun, dun. This one is fun because you've got this. I, I think the appeal is that, you know, how could this person ever get a billionaire or ever get a celebrity? And then suddenly that individual is interested in little old you or little old her or little old him. Um, and also the the billionaire is is not just a, a, a trope. It's actually its own category in romance now. Uh, so billionaire romances are wildly popular because you are always going to, usually you're pairing that with other tropes, obviously. So in a billionaire romance, you can have the enemies to lovers. You can have the single parent. You can have forced proximity. Um, just, uh, it, it's almost more focused on, on um, who their characters are. Uh, and, and that trope can really carry through for that. So I've seen a lot of billionaire romances done really well with different types of themes. Mostly I see it um, as more of a a marriage of convenience or fake relationship um, quite frequently, because if you're a celebrity and you have to put 
um, you know, you have to sell a story or you have to do publicity, then that fake relationship works really well. That trope works really well within this scenario. Um, for a billionaire, I see a lot of the, well, he needs his inheritance or for whatever reason or another, image-wise, he needs a, a girlfriend or a wife. Um, so I see that play out with billionaires and celebrities quite a bit, but that's a fun one and kind of its own, its own sub-niche within romance, if I'm being honest. What are your thoughts, Jana? Um, I think this one also ties into uh, royalty romances because yes. it's it's all the rags to riches kind of thing. You don't see nearly as many, even though I think they can be well done, where it's two people who are both very wealthy or both very powerful. And mm -hmm. and celebrity billionaire, we're talking about wealth, we're talking about power, we're talking about position. And it's almost always a, a somebody that doesn't have those things being raised into that place. And, and it's the Cinderella story. It's the rags to riches kind of thing. And, and that's really fun, but you don't very often see it where they're very close to the same place. Those tend to be more enemies to lovers or that kind of thing. The real billionaire trope is the person that's raised up. And the other really, really amazing thing about this is the research that you get to do. Because this is a huge fantasy fulfillment thing to go. Here's the guy who very literally could say, do you feel like Italian food tonight? Oh, good. Let's get on my plane and go to Italy. Right. And, and they did that in Friends once. Monica was dating a man who had more money than common sense. Right. And he did. He asked her out on a date. And next thing she knows, she is in Italy eating Italian food. And, and that idea of the, the beautiful places that they can go to, the luxury dates, the things that most of us go, if I'm ever doing this, that's like a once in a lifetime thing. And for them, it's almost casual. Even mm -hmm. though most people I know who actually have that kind of money don't have it on liquid assets. It's 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 really, again, fantasy because right. most of the time they can't touch that kind of money. But the fantasy is we could just jump on his private plane and jet across the world. And how fun is that fantasy? It's a fun and, fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Like and it. it lets you look it all up and go, hmm, what is the most expensive dessert possible <laughs> in this city? And you get, you know, the gold plated thing with an actual gem that you get to take home and, and, you know, and it costs a gazillion dollars for just one bite. But what would that luxury bite be like? Because most of us will never, ever, ever afford that luxury bite, but we want to know. And so it's, it's the fun of saying, here are these big, huge luxury things that for most of us will never be part of our lives. And we can really live that vicariously through the character that's rising in position, power, or money because they get exposed to the things that we all secretly really do want to know. What, what does that one teeny tiny little thing that there's only once every century that you get it? What, what would it be like if I get that because the, the partner is so into me that they can make that happen? Exactly. So that's really that. fun. That's a fun one. Next one is mafia. Let's uh and the, I think that this this ties into bad boys usually um when you're dealing with mafia. And so with mafia comes the whole dark romance um appeal. I don't know, I mean, and I love every time I say I don't know that I've ever seen this done in this type of romance. Inevitably, you're going to find someone who did it in this type of romance. But generally speaking, I don't see mafia tropes in uh sweet and clean romance just because the yeah, mafia trope has a certain expectation, audience expectation where you're getting gang related stuff, obviously. Um there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of um sexual heat there uh but with mafia you're dealing with a, a definite bad boys uh usually enemies to lovers scenario where the the female and, and or male again you can change these genders and exchange them out whatever you want to do um is attracted to or drawn into or embroiled in whatever is going on with this mafia love interest this person who is in the mafia in one form or another and then you watch how they navigate that because inevitably that that person who is in love with the person involved in mafia that that person is not a criminal and so <laughs> so you've also got this forbidden romance as well 
because, uh, you know, if, if you're dating a criminal and you don't know it, and then you find out maybe he is, or maybe you're just drawn to that individual. Oh, the delicious conflict involved and the high stakes involved, because then it's, it's risky, right? The, the, the stakes are your life, or maybe the stakes are, um, your family's lives. Uh, so you can play there. There's a lot of play there. And that's why it's called a dark romance with mafia. Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to have a lot of themes again, that we want to caution you against in real life. Okay. <laughs> it goes back to that bad boy scenario because sometimes this can get really um, crazy in the BDSM area. So just pay attention to all of those things when it, and remember that what is happening in romance and the fantasy of it and the escapism and the fun of it doesn't necessarily mean it is a healthy thing to be pursuing in real life. Uh, any thoughts on that, Jana? That, that's exactly why I wanted to include this one, right. um, because I, I was reading some of the Kalytics reports and they were talking about the rise of, of mafia, of dark romance and some of those kinds of things, and that it is very, very hot right now. Mm -hmm. um, and this comes in cycles, so it, it will probably have a period where it's up and then it, it'll go back down. Um, but it's understanding that there are readers there. there. There's a very strong market. And if you love it, please engage um, and please enjoy it. But think about, you know, some, some of the things that are being represented. And as a reader, make sure you go in with your eyes wide open, because these do tend to be darker stories. They sometimes deal with um, what they call dubious consent. Mm -hmm. And and for me, I, I like my stories to be full of lots of everybody who's there is into it. Um, but there are people who that's their fantasy. But just remember, guys, they, these are fantasies, um, and we want you to be really careful with your real lives. We want you to be very emotionally healthy with your real lives. And reading is supposed to be an escape. We, we educate and we entertain. Those are the two big things that authors are here to do. And if this is where your entertainment lies, go for it. Fantastic. But just make sure that you're really careful about where those lines are between what is okay in a book and mm -hmm. what is okay if you're actually experiencing it and if you're actually experiencing it, please get help. Mm -hmm. So that that's my little line there. And, and that's why those were there is because we, we do need to acknowledge that there's some really dark stuff in romance and, and it can really, really work. It can totally be your jam, but it is a place where as authors and as readers, we, we do need to be aware and we do need to be a little bit careful. And there are a lot that we didn't get into um, some on purpose because I don't know that we could do them justice. Right. And some of them just because there's so many. Again, I made a really big list and then I started trying to to pair back. So we tried to hit some of the most popular ones. There are a lot that we have not hit. Um, there's a lot that, you know, getting into historical fantasy, there are tropes that deal with specific timelines. There's more that you could do with paranormal romance. There is size romance where you, you get the... Um, the big and curvy girls, um, mm -hmm. which I, I, I love me a, a big and curvy kind of thing, or the dad bods. That that's a thing now is 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 the dad bods or what they used dad to call the cupcakes, <laughs> where it's where it's the the man that's got, got a little a few little juicy bits. Um, and I love that this is one of the things that I love so much about romance and about even talking about these tropes, is that there's kind of a trope for everyone. Mm -hmm. There is something that really does it for you and it's the kind of romance that you want to read the likelihood that you're going to be able to find a trope that satisf satisfies that itch is really high mm -hmm. and once you can figure out what is this called then to be able to get onto amazon and search for it or to, to look in other places you can start to identify oh these are the people that write the thing that i really really like and so i appreciate what the tropes do for us by giving it names where I can say, oh, if I go search for grumpy single dad, I'm probably going to find things that work in that aspect for me. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I do love me a, a good Von Trapp kind of story. Yeah. And exactly. so I love to be able to find these and that the tropes give us the ability to search out the things that we love. Yeah. I agree with everything you just said. Woohoo! I love it. One agreement. All right. <laughs> we have now come to the next part of the show. The, the closing part of the show, wherein we talk about our absolute irrelevancy. So, CJ, what is something irrelevant going on in your life today? Well, something something that has, well, actually, I think it has everything to do with romance. Uh, my boyfriend surprised me by driving all the way from L.A. to here last night so that he could be, where he, be here with me on Valentine's Day. So I'm a happy camper, and I'm going to go smooch on him in a minute. Uh, but uh, 
Yeah, that is my moment of irrelevancy. It has nothing to do with pug life or my dogs or anything else. Nobody has swallowed something they shouldn't and no one is dying or bleeding. So romance, romance. I'm so excited. <laughs> that That is very relevant irrelevancy. Um, <laughs> along those lines, I, I will say that in my house, we don't do Valentine's Day. Um, my husband and I swore off Valentine's Day a long time ago before we ever got together. So we have a very practical exchange of windshield wipers. And that way we're sure that our cars get new windshield wipers every year. And my daughter is the one who loves on love. So we will be doing family love things and she will get a little thing of chocolates and a book and and whatever. And I think we're going to make pink pancakes because for, for a nine-year-old, hey. there's no greater love than pink food, really. <laughs> so there Agreed. we go. Hopefully, wherever you are, by the time you hear this, you had a wonderful holiday if you chose to celebrate it. Or if you chose not to, I hope that you had a wonderful Tuesday. Because okay. there we go. But thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. You can find the show and the show notes at www.elantandigital.com and follow the podcast on YouTube or your favorite podcast distributor. Please feel free to talk in the comments. We will monitor those or come on over to our Facebook page that's also Facebook slash Elantum Digital and we are happy to chatter there. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review. We'll see y'all later, guys. Bye-bye now. Bye, everybody. 